you can't live life fully without embracing risk. And that's something I want to model to the kids, which necessarily means means involving some risk in their lives. Of course, you try to minimize that and try to blanket it in your love <laughs> and, and that's a safety net. But I think a lot of people live too safely and for that miss out on a lot of life's true richness. Welcome to A Better Life with Brandon Turner. That is me, where world-class guests share their wisdom on building a better life. Join me as we explore the habits, the actions, and the beliefs that have guided their journey with the aim of helping you apply those lessons to your own. We set Well, let's jump right in. <laughs> All right. Before we get to everything else, uh -huh. you were on Rogan. I've never interviewed somebody who's been on Joe Rogan before. Oh, there I don't you think. Go. So, yeah, yeah. what was that like? How did that come about? What was that? What was the Rogan experience? Yeah, how like? did it come about? Well, so I'd been on that alone show. I don't yeah. know. We can, we'll get into that yeah. probably at some point. But in the course of being on that show, I happened to kill a wolverine, you know, with an axe. It's <laughs> pretty a wild situation. <laughs> and there's this other popular hunting podcast uh, called Kafaru Cast. And that that guy had also shot a wolverine that year with his recurve. He's like, I'm probably the only person ever, you know, to have done that, got a wolverine this year with a recurve. And so all his listeners wrote in, oh, you got to see alone season six. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, so he invited me on to talk about that. And it just so happens that Joe listens to that podcast. And he wrote me wow. back the next morning. He was like, hey. I love the podcast. If you're ever uh, in L.A., let me know. And I was like, well, I guess I'll That's be in L.A. Yeah, yeah. I'll, <laughs> next I'll make week, the trip, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, buddy. Totally. So, uh, <laughs> I'll see what my schedule looks like next month. All right, right. right. Oh, Made it over cool. there. And, uh, yeah, he's an awesome guy, very real genuine person. You know, he, he was generous with his time. Probably We did the interview. That's basically when I met him, which was when he turned the, yeah. turned the mic on. And then after the show, he sat around and shot pool for a couple hours. And really? you know, that's just, cool. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've always wondered, yeah, like his dynamic versus, you know, how we do, like you showed up, we're sitting by the pool, just chatting for right, a while. Right, like, right, right. Like, I'm like, I don't know like what normal is for, you know, these big shows. Right, right. But. No, that was good. He, uh, when I came in, you know, he's fairly famous so he yeah. had the he has all the navy seals bodyguard oh, guys yeah. but they were all you know all fun to chat with talking about living in the arctic and yeah. doing all that kind of stuff so i shot the breeze with them until they the show started and then you know yeah. like i said that's when i met yeah. joe and he's a pretty genuine guy you can yeah. tell so that's yeah awesome. that's very cool all right mm -hmm. well what, you mentioned the arctic why don't we start why don't we start with siberia actually i want to go back to oh that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah why don't we begin how did that happen you were born in America, I assume, right? Yep, yep. I grew up in Idaho and uh, North Idaho Sandpoint area. Oh, no way. I just, I'm just i actually leaving in two hours from right now. I'm leaving on a plane to go to Coeur d'Alene. Yeah. <laughs> no kidding. I, oh, no so, kidding. Yeah, I live like, halfway between Sandpoint and Coeur d'Alene. That's, that's, that's where I grew hilarious. up. My mom's still on the farm there. No way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's funny. I'm literally going there today. Well, man. that's pretty random. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I know the area well. well yeah, right, Sandpoint's good. amazing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's a great place. And... Uh, Grew up there on the farm, and I have a brother who was adopted. We adopted him, though, or my parents did when he was just three days old, so he never knew his biological family. When he grew up, he wanted to find his mom and tell her thanks for giving him a chance, and it was about when I was 20 years old, he found his biological family, and he had a brother that was my age, and that guy was going to go to Russia and help this missionary build an orphanage and kind of told me about that whole operation, and I... uh 
a long story short, decided to just get a ticket for a year and head over there and help out. And I'd never prior thought about going to Russia. But when I got there, for one, I felt, you know, real strong sense of purpose. But then I also, so I bought a ticket for a year, you know, and just dove right in. And I got there, helped the guy build the orphanage. He's an awesome dude, but he was born in America and I wanted to live with Russians. So he sent me to a neighboring village and I Lived with a couple Russian families, just Siberian village life, cutting hay with a sigh and stacking it in those little piles as they do and milking the cow every morning. And, <laughs> you know, all that kind of stuff. But also common in Siberia is all the men in the, that I knew in that village had been to prison and they'd all been to prison together. Oh. So they'd all tell me like, oh, you know, when you uh, you got to go up north and meet my buddy up north, you know, he that they were in prison with. And so they were real close. They'd found God in prison together and really consider themselves brothers. So eventually that guy who was a fur trapper in the North came through and invited me to go live with him. And I mean, the story just kept rolling from there. So I went up there, spent a season with him fur trapping. He showed me all the ropes and uh, earned his trust. And he just so happened to be an Evenki uh, which is guy, which is native, you know, in Siberia, they kind of have more of an Asian look or Mongolian look. And after I earned his trust, all his cousins are nomads still and follow reindeer herds and live in teepees in the wilderness. And he basically one day just took me on a snowmobile and dropped me off at his cousin's teepee. And it's like, oh, this is Jordan. He's awesome. You know, this is Andre. He's awesome. And <laughs> see you later. And I got to live with those native nomads and I really loved their way of life and just kept going back for years. So they just follow yeah. the reindeer around. Yeah. Are they hunting them or are they? No, they kind of have, well, yes, they live off of wild reindeer and moose and fishing and all that. Yeah. But they also have these semi-domestic reindeer that they, uh, you can't really tell if they're following the reindeer or the reindeer are following them. <laughs> they kind of are in this symbiotic relationship and move through the forest and they kind of manage where they're living and grazing and protect them from the wolves and stuff. And in return, they ride the reindeer like horses and <laughs> the pull sleighs in the winter, get them meat, fur, all, all that they need, milk them, you know? Really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's Reindeer uh, milk, that, that's a yeah, thing? Yeah, it's like 19% <laughs> milk fat, so it's like really creamy. You put a little bit in a cup and woo. <laughs> Good stuff. It's incredible. I did not know that reindeer milk was a thing. That, yeah, no, yeah, yeah. You got to try that. Okay. <laughs> you can find it at your grocery store. Yeah, we'll see if I kill it at Whole Foods. Okay. <laughs> uh, all right. So do they speak English? Did you speak uh, no, their language? No, by that time I had learned Russian. So, And most of them speak Russian. It's a, uh, they have a native Evenki language. It's one of those things where the older generation speaks all in Evenki. Okay. Our age folks half and half and the young generation solely Russian. So it's wow. kind of an interesting uh yeah cross you know crossway in their culture right now had you read this is random have you read mm-hmm. the tiger I, you know, no i haven't the tiger there's uh-huh. a book called the tiger uh i actually heard about it because ryan holiday was on joe rogan and he mm-hmm. mentioned the tiger but anyway it was about uh-huh. a, a tiger in siberia did you have tigers i mean is that a thing no we were, were i mean they do spot. in siberia but that's far east siberia okay. kind of yeah by the pacific sure, ocean my, and we were dead oh, okay. center of russia like central Jeez. northern siberia kind of yeah that's yeah, yeah so away <laughs> from the tigers but it was a wild land, some of the most wild land on earth. It's, yeah. it's fly over it in a helicopter for hours and yeah. see nothing. Yeah, but, crazy, uh, man. Mm-hmm. So when did you come back home to, to the States? Well, I spent a total of five years there over the course of 10 years. Come back to the States, earn some money, go back, live there. And my last trip was in 2015. Wow. And so that one was with my wife, who was at the time pregnant. And then we came back to America and had the 
you know, have, had, have since had a few kids. We wanted to go back a few years ago, and then COVID happened, and yeah. now Russia is basically <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a little off limits <laughs> right a now. A little more complicated at the moment. So yeah, wow. Uh, I, you just we, like, hey, honey, I got. You want to go to Russia with me while you're pregnant? Well, <laughs> well, well I met her. Uh, you know, when I met her, I had already spent years over there, yeah. and it was really important that whoever I would marry would share that with me. Yeah. And so that's quite a filter, you know, if you want to go yeah, live in a yeah. teepee in Siberia. There's <laughs> not so many people. But when I met her, she had been living in China for a couple of years, and we kind of connected on on that semi-nomadic yeah. lifestyle. And she was all about it. She went over there, spent most of a winter in Siberia. And the one winter we she lived with me, you know, you were in a teepee in the middle of Siberia. Negative 56 is what oh, I think it got geez. down to. But she did great, and um, that winter we came back to the states, and then went back over. And that the next summer that we went, she was pregnant, and that was an adventure, also. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's great. Yeah, Good for be, her. Are you planning when when it opens back up again nicely? Are you planning yeah, to take yeah, the kids yeah, and family? And I'd love in? to. It's such a unique angle on life. I'd love to expose my kids to it. Obviously, the people that are there are now like friends and not family, so it's like I, I do miss them. Yeah, when I go see them and. Yeah, so definitely. I actually talked to a friend not long ago that said you can actually get to Russia via Romania. Yeah, you know, yeah, you can so get it, I'm sure somehow, it could yeah. still be an option, but of course, with a family, I have to yeah. wait till things settle down. But yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, well, that's an interesting question. I'd love to. Maybe we'll dive in a little bit later. Yeah, but yeah the idea of like, you know, actually, let's let's do it now. Right. I want to. I want to. Yeah. How do you balance and how have you balanced risk hmm. now that you're a father? You know, uh -huh. balancing like it's one thing to go out into the middle of wherever when you're right, alone, right, but now right. you got kids. Like, how do you still balance risk and how do you put your kids in the right amount of risk? Yeah, it's like you can't live life fully without embracing risk, and that's something I want to model to the kids, which necessarily means. Mm. means involving some risk in their lives. Of course, you try to minimize that and try to blanket it in your love <laughs> and, and that's a safety net. But I think a lot of people live too safely and for that miss out on a lot of life's true richness. So we're not afraid to, the way I've tried to introduce the children to that would be take them up for a week or two into the wilderness, pack up the llamas, yeah. take them up, spend some time up there. And it's really neat because you'll see you might be worried that, oh, it's going to be cold or it's going to be tough or buggy. But once the kids are up there, they kind of get used to the setting as is. I want to take them up there long enough that when they say they want to go home, they're speaking of basically the teepee instead yeah. of, you know. That's <laughs> back. Great. And, and it's really neat to just watch them and a freak storm comes in the mountains. It's raining and hailing and they're just under a rock playing <laughs> house or whatever it is they're doing. You know, it's like, but of course, that's not without some inherent risk because yeah. you're not in a safe bubble wrapped environment but i that's something i think we're okay with and as parents when we first had kids we had that discussion that we're going to try to live life the best we can model the best we can but we can't predict everything and we can't control everything and we want the kids of course to live healthy safe lives and but it's also there's is inherent risk and we aren't going to hold each other to a degree liable for that. You know, like if you turn your back and the kid falls over and hits his head or something, it's, you can't blame, you know, we're going to do our best, but beyond that, we have to <laughs> well, hold it with open hands, kind of. 100%. You know, the idea when I'm, when the white people came to America, let's mm -hmm. say, right? Or it happened here mm -hmm. in, in Hawaii as well. Right, right. They didn't have the immune system. And so it, it right. took out so many of the natives yeah. who lived here and all over the mainland. And it's a very common tale, right? They didn't have the immune system. They didn't mm -hmm. have the diseases. Mm -hmm. 
And so I think in a similar way, there's kind of a metaphor there for kids in life, right? If we Absolutely. remove all of their struggle and adversity. Yeah, exposure is yeah, what, exposure what creates what resilience. Yeah. yeah. And instilling resilience in yourself and your children is one of the most important things you can have, you know? And that, yeah. That, I actually had that question. Mm-hmm. I wrote this down earlier. There's four terms that yes on your website. There's mm-hmm. uh, And one of them is resilience. So mm-hmm. how do you define... Oh, let's go through all four of them real quick. Okay. How, do you, how do you define... I'll hit each one, but let's start with resilience. What does that mean? How do you define it? And uh, how do you build that? Yeah, resilience, I guess it's the ability to withstand difficult situations and and thrive through them, you know, and, yeah. and to some degree. The answer to how to build resilience in yourself and the people around you is obviously a <laughs> long-winded answer. <laughs> but um, I think it started with my own observation of my own family history, which was my grandparents lived through the Armenian genocide and watched their whole families massacred. Both my mm. grandma and grandfather were basically for all, yeah. the sole survivors in their family as children and were orphaned and all that. I didn't know my grandparents because they died before I was born, but I knew all my 11 aunts and uncles and they were just such happy, bright people. And it only struck me later in life that this is only one generation removed from the most terrible circumstance I can imagine. And I was And I thought, how was it that my grandparents that went through so much horror were able to raise children that were like happy, like the joyful? I wasn't, what was funny is I didn't even really know who had done what to our family until I looked into it later. It's not like aunts and uncles or dad were just like, oh, the Turks did this. You know, it's not what we focused on. We focused on creating a family and a life for ourselves. And I thought that was very, (laughs) that was struck me. Yeah. I also spent a lot of time reading war memoirs and various books that put in perspective my own suffering and just knowing my own family history, what other people have been through. It kind of gave me a foundation for resilience, you know, that could have resilience. So part of resilience is having that perspective that allows you to put your own suffering, you know, within context. That would be one part. Another part of resilience is strong relationships, you know, like understanding that when you're going through something, that there's people there for you on the other side. When I went on alone, which we haven't discussed yet, but a lot of people assume that's, you know, mine must have been the hardest thing you've ever been through. That's, you know, explain to me that. And it, it really wasn't hard. I can just honestly say it wasn't hard at all. Like it was, uh, <laughs> and part of that was because I had gone to Russia prior a yeah. lot. I had been away from my family for years at a time and come back and understood that, oh, these people still love me. These relationships are still secure and we'll catch right back up. And what I've learned in the outside world will not only enrich myself, but those people that I come back to. And so having that perspective on, you know, that I'm yeah. on alone, it, it made yeah. it three months out in the woods seem fairly, That's, <laughs> you yeah. know, what a easy. great perspective. One of the kind of the, I guess you call it like a core tenant of the, the, this podcast, like mm-hmm. a better life and the, the tribe that we have and all this stuff is I say this all the time is find people in your life who make the impossible look like a Tuesday morning. <laughs> right. Like, and this is such an example of that where it's like, when I think of survival or mm-hmm. just being like resilient, going out and, you know, like self-sufficiency, all that, mm-hmm. I just think of how horrible the difficult that sounds. And mm-hmm. so like the whole idea of the show is let's get around people who can be like, Hey, oh, yeah, like yeah. that's easy. So I love that you said that. It just kind of confirms that <laughs> Interesting. like, yeah, 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 yeah. because like, I may never be you. I may never go live in mm-hmm. Siberia and go ride reindeer, mm-hmm. though that sounds amazing. <laughs> I, I can be a little more like you right, by right. learning for like, like, where's that mentality come from? So exactly. resilience, awesome. We got ingenuity. Yeah. Second word. What does that ingenuity, mean? Ingenuity. I mean, I guess that's just the ability to dwell on, in a creative mind space. And 
What's interesting about ingenuity is that I don't consider myself a creative person. I score pretty low on creativity on those <laughs> tests and stuff. I'm not an artist or a musician. But something struck me, and this struck me particularly while I was on a loan, is I kept being confronted with these problems, various problems, and I had to, on the fly, think of solutions. There's nobody else to rely on. It's either you figure out your problem or you die, you know, in my mind. And so it was a great catalyst for creativity. And, and it was funny because I started to, you know, whether you're coming up with just a simple string with cans attached as an alarm system or building a fence to funnel moose in this direction or that direction. It's like all these solutions you're coming up with, trying them out, seeing how they fail, seeing how they succeed, and then iterating on them yeah. and continuing forward. And I thought out there like, wow, I feel like a creative person, you know, like this yeah, yeah, is, yeah. I could see where the the seeds of creativity developed in in humanity. And I was like, oh, that's super interesting. So kind of the key, I guess, to allowing yourself to be creative is to, as I've put it before, is kind of dwell on the edge of your aptitude. You know, like, of course, when you get the invite to go on this show and try to survive with nothing out in the woods, you're like, I don't know how that's going to go. You know, (laughs) sounds a little nerve wracking, but just push yourself just beyond your comfort zone. And the more you do that, the more you're going to have to live in that space that fosters a creative mindset because you're going to be struck with all these problems that you have to come up with solutions for. And this is the nice thing about wilderness living is those solutions are usually fairly simple, to be honest. Like, oh, this stick falls on that stick. And, you know, they say, <laughs> yeah. whereas sometimes in the business world, those solutions can be a little more convoluted, but it's well, interesting. I wonder how much of that is life and death, though. You know what I mean by like, you have to be creative when you're out there right. surviving. Right, right, right. And in business, it's way, just way easier to just lay in bed and scroll your phone instead absolutely. of thinking that idea. Absolutely. It's, you're absolutely right with that. Like it's, it's really easy to just live in. Of course, our modern world has provided us every comfort. Yeah. We're not yeah. going to starve to death. Nothing's wrong. It's another reason why that really struck me when I was alone out there because there's nobody else to rely on. You really, no one else to blame if it doesn't work out well. So yeah, you're forced to figure it out. (laughs) And and if you can try to understand that there's a lot of inertia against that in the modern world, (laughs) you know, you can hopefully counteract that to a degree, but excellent, (laughs) man. All right. Third one, adaptability. Adaptability. I guess when I, again, I guess we'll relate it to the show. You know, when I got out on the show, I had a real clear idea of what I wanted. The whole reason I signed up for the show is I'd watched the early seasons, seen everybody had bears around and their camp. I was like, why aren't they hunting bears? This is crazy. <laughs> and so <laughs> I'm going to sign up. I could do that. And then you sign up and I had my whole plan what I was going to do, catch fish, shoot a bear, blah, blah. You got there and there are just no bears. And oh. then I, there were no, I was fishing, couldn't catch any fish. And all of a sudden your whole plan has to shift and you have to adapt. But I think a key to that is just not being afraid to fail. You know, it kind of it kind of ties into I think that ingenuity. But don't be afraid to try new things. Don't be afraid if it's a screw up, man. <laughs> you know, like and then just learn from your mistakes. One moment that stood out to me was if you watched a show. At one point, I'd, I'd worked for weeks to try to create an interaction with a moose. You know, like I, that's because <laughs> that's what I saw. I'd moose sign. I didn't have bear. I didn't have anything else to. Needed to make an interaction with a moose happen, and I had put my shelter down. You know, I'd done all these things to try to make that happen. Spent hours calling him, and then one day I come out, and there's a giant moose like 40 yards from me. And uh, I go out there with my bow and took the shot, and the arrow goes short. <laughs> I was like, oh. and then I turned around and uh, I didn't have my arrows because I'd grab my camera instead. And I was just like, oh, I'm an idiot. But immediately in that moment. It was interesting because I, you could get really upset, yeah. but what I did instead was I, 
I just immediately took it all in. Like, wow, that was incredible. I feel like I saw dinosaurs, giant mm-hmm. moose. What can I learn immediately and how can I make this happen again? You know, I'm going to have to, now, I almost felt like now there's more pressure for me to succeed in interacting with a moose yeah. again. Because And so I watched where he went, took note of that, followed his tracks, was immediately aware of like, you know, I'm not going to be like, dang it, I missed. Yeah. You know, be quiet, follow over there, see where he went. And that's when I like saw the two, it's probably 300, 400 yard funnel you know area in the forest they went through and i was like man i could build a fence here you know and immediately start thinking of new solutions to the problem and just adapt to whatever happened but to do that i think you need to expect failure and yeah. be ready for it when it comes so that it doesn't knock you off your feet you know and, that's really mm-hmm. good man you know it reminds me of I, out here in hawaii sometimes we'll get on paddle boards and we'll just paddle out in the middle of the ocean <laughs> right and we'll look for the whales and oh, there's cool. whales here of january ferry march uh-huh. april you'll see some this week probably if you oh, look wow. for a while right yeah, yeah, yeah. and you don't want to like paddle to where the whale is, right? Because we're slow oh, paddling. Right. So you got to paddle to where the whale is going, right? So right, you, right. you pack up early, 6.30 in the morning, you jump in the truck, mm-hmm. get out to the water, right? Paddle up for an hour. Uh-huh. And the whole time you're looking for the whales. And then you see them out there and you you paddle way in front of them. And mm-hmm. like the hope is that a whale somewhere pops up <laughs> near you, right? Right, right. And, and so, I mean, I probably do this 10 times every year. And I would say eight times out of 10, I'll get within 50 feet of a whale. Like out of, just, out wow. of the world. In fact, yeah, you know, yeah. Alex and I were out there the other day. That's awesome. it's, it's the crazy thing. We were out there the other day and I said the words. Incredible. Yeah, I was like, you know, I just don't think we're going to see any whales today. <laughs> and this guy pops up <laughs> out of nowhere, experience. right? Yeah, it's, yeah. it's crazy. So, and, but here's where I go with this idea is you just like the moose. You saw the mm-hmm. moose out there, right? But you, mm-hmm. you built the shelter downwind. Right, you, right. you were thinking about the funnel, right, how to right, funnel. Right. You do all these steps right and then luck happens right yeah, exactly and so yeah, everyone's yeah. sitting on the everyone's sitting at home on their tv are like oh wow he's lucky he got a moose right <laughs> right right, right. <laughs> you're like no i'm, I'm not lucky <laughs> i had a moose like <laughs> that's funny because yeah. i've been lucky hunting before yeah. you know i bumbled across something sure. or whatever that situation was probably the least lucky yeah. you know i was so much work when weeks yep. of effort went into that and then you have a situation and yeah mm. yeah i would say like no People are like, oh, it might, you must be lucky to have a body like that. You know, the person that's yeah, right, right, like, right. no, I would, I would be shocked. Like, it's like work until that success, like work until not success would be a shock. Like you'd be right, like, right, I'm, right. I'm, I'd be shocked if I didn't have a six pack. I'm cause I'm, I'm I right, don't, right, but, right. Right? Uh, I would be surprised if we didn't see whales out there because right, I'm, right. I'm out there and I'm, I'm constantly shifting direction right. and I'm, I'm looking for them. And it's a good point. Yeah. I like, even when a lot of times people are just getting into I guess we're talking uh, hunting or yeah. whatever, you know, it's, a lot of it is just keep putting yourself in those yeah. positions and spend enough time out there. Mm-hmm. Something's bound to happen. You know, it takes that persistence and resilience, especially as yep. you're learning something new, but yeah. How many people look at business people and like, Oh, they're so lucky to have, you know, yeah, bought real yeah. estate in that time or in that location. <laughs> right, right. They started that dog walking business right at the right time to, but right. like, well, they just kept putting themselves out kept there. Trying, right? Kept trying. Exactly. Yeah. That's so true. Yeah, uh, Mark Cuban has a great quote that says, um, the great thing about business is you only have to be right once. Right, right, right. <laughs> the great yeah, thing about true. hunting is you only got to be right once. <laughs> right, you got to get right. that one that right. one moose. So, yeah. so don't be yeah. too worried about all the times that you get it wrong, mm. but don't just stand still. You know, that was yeah. my whole even plan and going on that show is like, could have looked at it as a disadvantage that I had, you know, similar body styles. So yeah, I'm yeah. tall, thin, like super high metabolism. I was like, oh man, I'm screwed on yeah, a starvation yeah, yeah, yeah. contest, you know? <laughs> <laughs> but that forced me into a certain pathway. It's like, there's no way I'm going to win a starving contest, which yeah, means yeah. I need to be active and make something happen. And, uh, and it forced me into 
activity, which yeah. ultimately is the only thing. That's the only way you would ever achieve true sustainability in an outdoor situation. You know, you can outstarve people on a TV sure. show, but in a real survival situation, you need to make it happen. And it struck me after I got the moose, like, holy smokes, if I had my family here, it was mm-hmm. like, I might get a couple days off and then it's just right back to it, man. Yeah. You got to keep producing, keep producing, <laughs> producing yeah. and talk about never the pressure never being off. It's yeah. kind of interesting, but yeah, you can't just rest on your laurels. Exactly. And, yeah. Exactly. My buddy has a construction company called Laurelis. Yeah. We don't have laurels. You did. Yeah. Like, like you just keep going. Yeah, because, yeah, yeah. There you go. It's like, good job. You know, celebrate for maybe a minute and then get back to yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Oh, well, that kind of leads to the last, the last word then is gratitude. The last word on your website, you wrote down oh, right. gratitude. What is like, why is that important to you? That ties a lot, I guess, into resilience, but I think you're, I think you're really, as you move forward through life, if you're not grateful for what you have, for what you've been given, you're pretty liable to lose what you're not aware, you know, lose that in the process. So constantly dwelling in a place of gratitude just helps everything else from the failures to the successes, to the, just puts everything else in perspective. And I think if you're not grateful for something, you're really liable to lose it. So mm, that's I, a social media quote right there. Say it again. No, but I, I've, I've definitely thought about that a lot. That uh, anyway, and it, it goes for all of our society, us personally. We yeah. just need to really understand what we have and then you can improve upon your yeah. situation. But yeah, anyway. That's great, man. Yeah. Well, speaking of gratitude, I want to shift and, and get to our uh, show sponsor this week. But one thing we do on the show is 100% of the ad revenue from every episode mm-hmm. goes toward a charity or a cause of the guest choosing. Mm-hmm. So is there a cause slash charity that uh, you know breaks your heart <laughs> that you care a lot about that we can throw all the money from the show toward? There are. And I'll have to I'll consider which one specifically. Okay. Oftentimes when I'm giving money, I'll give it to some of those Middle Eastern funds that support Assyrians and yeah. you know people that are stayed back in a pretty tough situation. Yeah. I also have organizations that I like to support up in Idaho, Montana area that kind of involve wildlife management and helping keep those outdoor places rich and yeah. life filled. And so, so yeah, I'll have yeah. to think, think about that, which, one. which one. I like, I appreciate the opportunity to support them. Yeah. So I love it, man. <laughs> Shout out the sponsors all you want. There we go. All right. With that said, let's get to the ad roll. Hey, it's Brennan. This ad is only for like a like 5% of the audience listening to this. But if that's you, you're going to love this. Are you interested in a hassle-free way to grow your wealth? A place where you can earn strong returns without any extra effort on your part and lower risk. Well, besides running my podcast here and the Better Life Tribe, which, you know, 100% of profits of that go to charity, I also manage a profitable real estate investment company called Open Door Capital. You know, our main goal at ODC is to help you achieve a better life through passive real estate investing. In other words, we want to help you make more money so that you can live the life that you desire. Since 2018, we've acquired over $730 million in value-add real estate across the country, delivering exceptional returns to more than 1,500 passive investors just like you. And here's the best part. You can start investing in one of our opportunities right now because our team has diligently evaluated over 700 deals this year to bring you our latest offering. It's called the Texas 3-Pack. The portfolio consists of three apartment complexes totaling 637 units located in Houston and Austin, Texas. We're acquiring these properties off-market at a staggering $25 million discount and 
By assuming the seller's loan, we have secured a low interest rate of 3.8% for the next seven years. With that interest rate and the price discount, this investment carries less risk for investors, allowing my team to focus on creating value for you. Visit our website at odcfund.com slash betterlife to connect with my team and determine if this deal is right for you. Again, that's odcfund.com slash betterlife. Thanks for your attention. Look forward to potentially helping you achieve your financial goals with Open Door Capital. All right. And with that said, let's get into the show a little bit. Uh-huh. We've kind of been dancing around the right, show. Okay, but so yeah. he, there's a show you said, you mentioned you were watching it and you were like, mm-hmm. I, could, I could do that. Which uh, every, uh, everybody says. has said watching, yeah, watching any show of all time, like, oh, moron, I could throw a football over those mountains, right? Uh, so how did you go from I could do that to in the middle of the wilderness? And, and well, yeah. And to talk about, there's a, a little bit of luck involved in that, sure. right? You know? Yeah, <laughs> you know? Yeah. No, but. My buddy had told me, oh, you should watch this show. It's called Alone. It's pretty interesting. And and I think at that time, season two was about to come out. So I went and watched the show. And like I said, it was a fascinating idea for a show. They take 10 people and give them each 10 basic items, like a ferro rod and a sleeping bag. You know, some pretty simple stuff. Put each person of those 10 people by themselves out in the woods. They self-film and you have a tap out button. And it's basically the person that lasts the longest wins. Mm. And so pretty fascinating idea for a show. And like I said... I watched it and I enjoyed it. And I also like thought, well, why aren't they hunting bears? Of course, there's like, (laughs) when you get on the show, you realize there's certain regulations and this, that certain seasons had to follow and stuff. So that said, as you're watching it, you're exactly like, what an idiot. (laughs) 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 No, but, uh, so I signed up for it on a whim that evening and then sent off. It was a real basic sign up. I think I sent them a link to my YouTube videos with living with the reindeer herders in Siberia and stuff mm-hmm. and sent it off and forgot about it. And it wasn't until three years later, they randomly reached out. Really? So I uh, was working up on a construction job in DC and like building this driveway. And I got a call and this is the history channel. Every time. I was like, oh gosh, I forgot about that. And I, I was like, man, I'm going to, they said, just so you know, you're one of the only people all of us all the producers agree we want on the show if you say yes and so i was like oh geez like oh man i I gotta go catch up on the show (laughs) and so of course as the doors kept opening i just kept going through them and obviously having lived a life i think that was interesting for them prior (laughs) made for good tv you know been to siberia done all this that had a little family so it was good it fit their mold. Yeah. And then, yeah, found myself all of a sudden that helicopter was taken off. And you're like, holy cow, this is happening. Yeah, this where did they drop you? Where was this? Uh, it was northern Canada. Uh, Great Slave Lake is where it was called. So it was in Northwest Territories. And it was a really neat location. That was very remote. Like the whole time I was out there, I never saw a non-production related vehicle or boat or you know anything yeah, like so that. So it's not like so, they're there filming you like survivor. No, no, this right. Is... You get your own, you know, you get your GoPros and your camera and you they spend a week orientation teaching you how to film yourself and yeah. And then they drill it in all the time like don't never you should always be filming. If they go, you know, they'll come to a medical check every so often, ten days or so. And if they take your footage and if they come they'll come back at the next medical check and be like, hey, we noticed you weren't filming during this or that, you know? <laughs> so they really want you to be filming all the time, which you end up doing because you're bored yeah, out there. Yeah. <laughs> so, so uh anyway yeah, i found myself out there and went from there 
Could you imagine that much footage to sift through? Oh, Al- Alex here who's in the room. Yeah, Alex Felice here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what a nightmare. Just hundreds and hundreds of hours of just, just people blabbing on yeah. about this yeah. And that. yeah, how would Carbon you find spoons? Like, yep. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wild. Okay, so you get on this show, and I mean, you said earlier it was basically it was easy. Did you? I mean, was it like that from day one? Like, well, you it was. It, yeah, it's a good, that's a loaded word, question maybe. because yeah. it could have really not been easy. Sure. For one, like, like your success in a wilderness situation is never guaranteed, yep. or in business, or you know, it's never guaranteed. Like we were talking about a minute ago, you just do everything you can to try to set up where success is more likely, and so. I was stressed the whole time. <laughs> I was like, oh man, if I don't get food today, then tomorrow I'm going to starve. So they dropped me off on the helicopter and immediately um, you're already like, well, if I don't get food by my next meal time, I'm already starving. So yeah. the pressure's on immediately. And so the helicopter flew away. I got my bow and I thought, well, right now it's probably when nature knows that I'm not here, you know, so I'm going to yeah. hike around with my bow and sure enough, saw a rabbit, shot it. And like, oh, and again, you could say, well, lucky, but of course that requires that you'd been practiced with your bow and didn't miss at your opportunity. And, you know, I did. So I was lucky and got a rabbit on day one (laughs) and then uh, started to move. I moved on. I saw, I assessed my location and realized the only thing I could see was like, well, there might be moose in here, but I wasn't seeing other sign, no berries, which I was expecting. And it's like, well, and if I'm, if I'm going to be hunting moose is my most likely option, I'm going to have to move my shelter to where I'm not in their trail or not near the winds, not blowing the wrong direction. So I moved, I was in the process that first day of moving my shelter and I saw another rabbit run by and I was like, Ooh, so I went and moved my shelter, set some snares there. And the next day I came out and I caught a couple rabbits in those snares. So I was like, well, I wasn't thinking about rabbits, but I guess that's the way to go. So, you know, kind of just adapting to what I was on offer there and uh, really started leaning into those. And then, but rabbits don't sustain you. They're just, it fills your gut, but there's too much protein in them and not enough fat. So your body can't actually process it. So I think I was losing weight as fast as someone that was not eating anything, but I was catching rabbit after rabbit after rabbit. But that whole time I was stressed. I was like, oh man, I'm going to starve tomorrow. I'm going to starve tomorrow. You know? (laughs) And then I got it was on day 21, I believe, that I finally managed to get a moose, which was an incredible yeah, know day. And we'll tell uh, talk yeah. about that. But even then, I never felt the, like the pressure was off. It was almost something I learned in hindsight after the show, which was live a little more in the present because yeah. I bared a lot of stress, a potential future that never ended up coming to fruition. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I thought, Oh, you know, I shot this moose, but somebody else probably got a moose and, you know, the Wolverine stole my fat. So now I'm losing again. So now I got to make up for that. And then am I going to be okay missing my family for like up to a year out here? You know, like what's this all going to, how's this all going to play out? It's, you know, it's a bummer. We're going to have to miss Christmas with the kids and, you know, stuff. You start thinking about all these future things. Of course, I was still, I shot a moose. I had all this fish. I was still worried about starving because... I'm going to eat this at some point. And, yeah. and so, so uh, I just bore all this stress. And then one day the show ended and I was like, huh? Like, oh, <laughs> wow, you know, incredible. But I, in hindsight, it was like, geez, I could have just enjoyed the whole time. Like I didn't even have to stress, but I won't deny that I wasn't like stressed the whole time, yeah. which is interesting. And in hindsight, like if I would have done it again, you know what? You do your best every day. <laughs> you try to confront your problems as they come and, and, you know, you don't have to dwell in that worry about the future. 
you just accept it as much as it helps you to motivate you to take action against it, you yeah. know, but, um, you know, in a very, very horrible, <laughs> horrible analogy here, I'm going to use very first world problems. Uh-huh. Uh, I made a YouTube video recently or an Instagram post with Alex here about cleaning my pool. Right, so <laughs> I get all these leaves in the pool and they're covered. <laughs> I look like such an idiot right now. I'm going to just say the story no, though. Sounds all right, nice. So I'm cleaning the pool, right? Uh-huh. And there's like leaves falling in as I'm, I go from one side of the pool to the other and I'm cleaning it and I get all the leaves up and I look back at where I started and it's full of leaves again. And I'm like uh-huh. getting irritated and stressed that like uh-huh. like that I can't clean the pool good enough and I go back and I clean it again I'm like oh I just want to get all these leaves and then I just had the realization I'm like well maybe I just need to enjoy the process of cleaning the pool like, right <laughs> oh, maybe yeah. I just need to yeah, not yeah. be stressed like what if I just took the problems great. as they come that's actually great yeah yeah, yeah. yeah I, right? I, I'm the type of person that like am in a hurry a lot yeah, like, I, yeah, I got to yeah. accomplish I got to <laughs> knock this out I got to get to the next thing and how I, in life I do that all the time it's Absolutely. like right I set some point. goal go for mm-hmm. it and then okay well now what's next right, right. I gotta have more stress in my life yeah, dwell in get... the process. Like yeah. I, I, sometimes I'll do that when we're when I'm hiking, you know, taking people out, and we're all and we want to get to this lake, get to this yeah, lake. And yeah. you're like, wait, we're already there. Just yeah, so you know, yeah. like we're in the woods. It's beautiful. Yeah. Like, take a yeah. breath. And I, slow. Th- <laughs> I think that with my kids sometimes, right? I'm just like I, I got to remember. It's like my son Wilder is three and a half. He's struggling with talking, and I'm mm-hmm. always like trying to like help him talk. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, he's not going to be 18 and struggling to talk. Like he's right. going to figure yeah. it out. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I can fully try to enjoy this moment with my kid and <laughs> right, not. Right feel like pressure yeah to, the pressure yeah, to get them. Yeah, yeah. in the schooling system like uh, i don't know if you've dealt with that but yeah the schooling system like we we homeschool right now and one of the reasons why is because i just don't want to deal with that like pressure of he's back behind yeah he's, yeah, like, he's yeah, behind yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I, we have a tutor that once a week my daughter goes for an hour to with this tutor just for uh-huh. mostly for interaction with another friend mm-hmm. and yeah the tutor mentioned recently like yeah well rosie's you know really good in this 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 and this but mm, she's just a little behind on this one area uh-huh. and it stressed my wife and i out like, yeah, yeah, all of a sudden yeah. it was now we're comparing to other yeah, kids, right? yeah, totally. I'm like, oh, totally. we better sit down and double up on her math or whatever the thing was. Yeah, and, I guess that's good about homeschooling. Uh, you can maybe lean into her strengths yeah. as their strengths, and the other things will catch up too yeah. over time. But yeah. yeah, and we do it to our kids, but we probably do it to ourselves just for sure. As much, we do, right? yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Like, oh, all these things are great in my life, but oh, I got a little bit of fat on my love handles here. I'm such a loser. Like, no, there you yeah. go, gratitude, yeah. right? Yeah, you yeah. have to be thankful for what you have, uh, and then work on what you need to work on. Yeah. yeah. Oh. All right. Yeah. Well, you know, it reminds uh, me. I think you said earlier about you thought there were going to be bears out there. You thought. Mm-hmm. There were going to be berries out there. You mm-hmm. thought the fish would maybe come easier. Mm-hmm. And you get out there, like you have this plan. It doesn't work. And it reminds mm-hmm. me of two quotes that I love. Number one is uh, Mike Tyson said, right. everyone has a plan to they get punched in the right, mouth. Right, 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 right. I love that. And then uh, uh, Eisenhower said, plans are worthless, but planning is everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, right. So I see that in you, yeah, right? Yeah, you you still need to have a plan, right? Yeah, but yeah you do. Go that way. You, you have a plan, you get it all set up, and sometimes it works. If in life you've often dwelled on the edge of aptitude, as we talked about earlier, then then you actually become more comfortable in that space so that when the plans don't work, you're less uncomfortable with relying on your ability to adapt or confront these unforeseen circumstances. Uh, yeah, I think leaning into that's okay. <laughs> that's good. All right, so you get this you get this moose. Uh-huh. Like how did you get how do you get a moose with a bow and arrow? Like I mean Yeah, it was intense. I was what a blast. I spent a lot of times like sitting on the, you know, up in the berries, just picking berries, filling all my pockets and calling moose like they make this sound and so I just sit there and call moose, call moose and just with your Did voice. It for days, just with your voice. The nice thing about moose, you don't need anything special. You can just go. <laughs> <laughs> you know what and, it sounds like. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> you make this sound. And then as I was out there, I noticed generally I would 
call and any interaction I had would pretty much be the next day. Like it actually took them a really long, they'd hear it from miles away and dink their way over slowly, <laughs> get there the next morning. I'm sure and, pretty disappointed. <laughs> like, yeah. Thought you were female moose. Yeah. <laughs> you are not. Most of them were pretty disappointed. I think <laughs> the, uh, not a very attractive moose. Yep. The, uh, but yeah, so I'd done a lot of that. Done, like you said, always situated in my shelter. I'd spent nights trying to stay up all, you know, go nocturnal, stay up all night, try to get one at night. They're more active then. And then I missed the moose, like we discussed earlier. And then I had tracked them, realized there was an area that wasn't very narrow, but it's a pretty flat terrain up there. And there were like two hills. And between them, it wasn't too far of a distance. And I noticed when I missed that moose that it ran through that area. And I saw a bunch of other trails in that area. And I was like, well, I know they go through here, but good luck guessing what trail they're going to come through and being at the right place at the right time. So to increase my odds of getting lucky, <laughs> like I actually thought back to living with the natives and we had built with the natives, you know, like I talk about how they kind of followed the reindeer, but the reindeer kind of followed them. One of the ways they managed where the reindeer go is they build these giant 30 kilometer circumference fences, just with no nails, just interlocking logs, like kind of, and so we just chop and build like for months at a time, these big fences and they'd push them in there, move them out, kind of manage them like that. I thought, man, I remember at one, on those fences, they used to build these spots where moose could come into the fence, but not come back out. And so started thinking about funneling fences and moose like that. And I was like, oh, I could actually build a fence between here. But then I thought, oh my gosh, what a calorie expenditure. You know, when I'm on a low calorie diet, that seems stupid. And then I, I was like, well, I'm not here to starve. I'm here to either make it happen or not. You know, like I'm okay with failing. You know, you have to be okay with that. So I was like, well, I'll put the energy into doing it. And I built this whole fence and, you know, you cross your fingers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And then and that uh, could have gone the other way. You it could have not yeah. worked. Could have just built a fence like an idiot out yeah. there. <laughs> That's funny. You know, what every, a moron doing? <laughs> every great entrepreneur, though, that I can think of, like really big ones, right? Mm-hmm. The Richard Branson's, the Elon Musk's, mm-hmm. like the the big. Every one of them, their stories, their biographies, they have those examples of look. Mm-hmm. This may have gone the other way. Right, so in right. a way, it's almost like success is just a survivor bias kind of a situation. Yeah, there is a lot of that, right. I would imagine. And you might look at a lot of people on that show and be like, "What an idiot!" Just yeah. because it didn't actually yeah, work. It didn't but work it might have been. Right. You know, yeah. they were trying though. It's yeah, good. it reminds me of the uh, what's that? I'm not a huge football guy, but years ago there was this. I think it was going. Was it the Super Bowl or going into the Super Bowl? I want to butcher this. The Seattle Seahawks. Oh, Russell yeah. Wilson, right? Yeah. At the last Hail play. Mary from the one yard yeah, line. Yeah, exactly. And he gets, it gets like, intercepted, right? And everyone's totally. like, what a moron, what an right, idiot. But right. in reality, it was actually the right play. Like, right. mathematically, percentage wise, it should have worked right. more than what the alternative was. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Uh, yeah, yeah. Annie Duke talks about this and I think thinking in bets and maybe she's got another book where she talks more about that. But yeah, this idea, sometimes you just make the best judgment call you can. Yeah. And sometimes it goes your way and some doesn't. But yeah. over the long run, this goes back to the Mark Cuban quote, mm-hmm. right? You only have to be right once. Yeah. So if you yeah. continually operate in that mindset of what I call, an, well, a lot of people call, I didn't make this up, but an asymmetric bet, right? Yeah. Like where the upside is a lot higher than the downside. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, and if you just make those bets in your life over and over, Sometimes they don't pan out because they don't always, they're yeah. bets. Right, right, Sometimes right. Sometimes they do, and you get the moose. Exactly. And uh, I was out snaring rabbits one day, and I'd like, also had put it, set up these tin cans with like string on the moose trails mm, so yeah. I could hear them go clank when they walked yep. by, which almost is why I got that first moose that I missed as it came through one of my clanks and I heard it and went out. You know, anyway, so that was a one iteration on this. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> But then I had combined those solutions, a fence and these clanking cans. And this, I was out snaring rabbits. I actually had a rabbit in the snare. And then I just heard clank. I was like, oh, 
oh my gosh. And then, uh, <laughs> like, no kidding. So something's coming along the trail. So I just ran over to the bush that was next to the funnel. And sure enough, the, the big moose <laughs> comes lumbering up. And I took my shot. It was like 24 yards or something. And felt really good. I was like, holy smokes. Like, I think I just nailed that moose. And then, <laughs> uh, and then it took off running. And, and if you've ever bow hunted, you've also lost animals before. So, mm. like, you've got one. You think it's really a good shot. And you never find it. And yeah. so one of the keys to prevent that is to wait like an hour before you go look for it. And so I just waited like the longest I've skinned that rabbit, like trying to oh, man, waste time. And then uh, finally I went and, you know, started tracking the moose. I saw some bubbly blood. I probably got it in the lung. It was exciting. Mm. And then all of a sudden the blood dried up, the tracks were gone. And you're just like, oh, no way, I'm going to lose this thing. And anyway, long story short, a lot. It was the most like emotional up and down day I can even remember. It was just like, I got a moose. Oh, I lost the moose. Oh no, I found the moose. This is crazy. And then, it, but it's not dead. Oh no. <laughs> so then I just had to wait. I've got close to it, like about 60 yards, but it was still just like moving its head around. It didn't know what happened. It had just gotten shot yeah. and went and laid down. And in that situation, they'll usually just bleed out and or if you like spook them, they'll know they're being chased and they'll like jump up and take off. And by then they've clawed it up and you might never find that animal again, which would be the worst situation. You killed an animal and didn't recover yeah. it. So I just waited and it was a very long three hours. And it was like, it would stand up and you're just like, no, no, don't run away. And then it would lay down. And you're like, yes, and it would stand up and lay down. And it was, it was rough. I couldn't really finish it off without risking like having it run off and, It'd be a disaster, so I just had to wait and hope that it would be, end quickly. And then finally, it stood up and shook and fell over. And I was like, I'm pretty sure it's dead. Yeah. And I walked up and touched it, and it was dead. And like, talk about the gratitude and talk about like a burden. I had this burden of yeah. this like demon on my shoulder. You're gonna starve. You're gonna starve. And it just felt like, oh, finally free of that thing. Yeah, full joy there. Yeah. I, and, yeah, two two interesting yeah. points on that one. I think it was President Garfield, I think uh -huh. it was, who died, who shot, right? One of the presidents got oh, shot. Oh, yeah, yeah, right? yeah. But what actually killed him mm -hmm. was the the poking and prodding of the doctors trying to figure oh, out. Like, and they oh, say no he kidding. actually would have lived had they oh, not wow. poked and prodded. So yeah, it reminds yeah. me of like that example, yeah, right? Good, yeah. like, you could have ran <laughs> yeah, at, the, yeah, yeah. at the thing and lost it. So yeah, yeah. yeah, there's a certain lesson of patience there to be to be. Yeah, had. hunting has a lot of those life lessons in it. What was the other one? What was the other connection there? I don't remember, but uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, it reminds me of the, yeah, that that sometimes it's okay to be a little more patient. Right? Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And wait for that. Oh, I know the second connection that I had. I was thinking about a friend of mine recently sold a company. A friend of mine struggled with money his entire life, came from mm -hmm. a very poor family, worked hard for 10 years to build up his company and then sold it for, a, I mean, eight-figure, you know, payday, yeah, yeah. right? And I called him the day that it happened and he just started like, not uh, sobbing is probably the right uh -huh. word, just sobbing uh -huh. of like relief. Like, oh I'm, man. <sighs> like the, that weight <laughs> yeah, off totally. the shoulders, right? <laughs> totally, totally. Uh, and we don't always get those examples in life, but yeah. it's one of the reasons I, I love business. Like we said about the getting it right once or real estate where it's like, you know, one big deal. Like I have a, mm -hmm. I have a friend who just, he's working on deals, been working on it for two years. It's not quite done mm -hmm. yet. Almost there. But when it's done, he should be making right around $10,000 a month in pop. Wow. Just passive income. Like Jeez. just like yeah, good for game over, right? Yeah, I, mean, yeah. I got enough. I'm set, set. for life. Yeah. And now <laughs> yeah, I, can, yeah, yeah. I can survive. And so yeah. it's that moment that I think that drove me for 10 years to build a real estate or now almost 20 years to build a real estate business. Mm -hmm. uh, it's this, the idea of like, if I just get this right, I can take that weight Burn off my off. shoulders. Yeah, 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 yeah. That boy, that moment and when you 
take that weight off is hard to replicate. Like yeah. I was like, I, I couldn't have bought anything that would have given me that much joy. You know, it's yeah. just like, well, this is an inc- peak experience. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's good, man. That's so good. <laughs> what did you do with them? I mean, did they give you a full like knife set to like cut up? An well, animal, I brought a you... Leatherman. So just, a, it's a little multi-tool. <laughs> yeah. Like so a little, I, like, yeah, a little guy. Yeah. And skinned up and gutted that moose. It took, you know, several hours to do that. And then you had to pack it back to camp. And then immediately it's like, well, the predators are going to be on their way. So, yeah. so I was smoked it so that, that it wouldn't spoil. And then, uh, st- started hanging it up in trees. And then, and then it's another little bit of an iteration process because we got it hung up in the trees and all the birds are just pecking all the yeah. exterior fat off of it. So I tried like, like, well, maybe I'll wrap it all in a bunch of branches and then hang it up in the tree. So I tried that, but they, they would just like climb their way through there. So the, anyway, you just keep iterating on this problem again. And then also not less resting on my laurels. I thought that like, well, somebody else is probably going to get a moose if yeah. I did. So I'm going to try to use this moose to surely now a bear is going to come in. They're going to smell this thing from far yeah. and wide. And so I set it kind of out in front of my shelter where if a bear came, I could yeah. potentially shoot it from my shelter. And then um, no bears ended up coming. <laughs> but, but what did come was a little wolverine. And I just was not even, it wasn't even in my mind that a wolverine would show up. And so he came a lot quieter than a bear and a lot, you know, a little more agile. And he had climbed up on my little shelf and I'd found an old plastic gallon jug and filled it full of fat. And he took that whole jug and took off. And the next morning I came out and it's like, oh, something's what are all these tracks? And I was like, oh no. oh no. And I was like, no way. And I started looking around and didn't initially notice that I had lost much. So they yeah, had no big deal. But then I saw like, oh gosh, that jug's gone. No way. I tried to follow it. Like maybe I'll find this thing, but no, sure enough, I'd lost. I mean, I still had a lot of other fat from the moose, mm-hmm. but I was always like comparing myself. So, oh man, if I lost a gallon of fat and another guy got a moose, well, now I'm losing by 90,000 calories again, you know, or whatever yeah, yeah, yeah. that is. And so, so that was a problem. And then I had to figure out a way to keep this thing protected from the Wolverine. And so we had a whole deal going, you know, I'd see yeah. that Wolverine come in and try to steal stuff. In the meantime, I was trying to build this elevated cache that I could keep it, my food safe up there. In that process, one night that Wolverine came back and I saw him, I saw his little eyes behind a bush and I was like, oh man, came out. He had, again, I'd get used cans and heard him clank. So he came running around down the trail. I look out, he's behind a bush and I, Drew back on him, but I was like, I'll wait for him to come out from the bush. And I was just waiting, and then, like, he vanished. And I was like, what the heck happened to him? And it was at night, so I couldn't see. must have scurried off. And then I was kicking myself for not shooting when I had the chance. Well, the next night, same thing, clank, clank, comes coming along. I came out, and this time he was behind the bush. That time I just sent the arrow. And it, like, ricocheted through the alders and stuck him, but it only stuck him in the back leg. But, like, the back of the arrow was up in the bushes, and the front of the arrow was in the dirt there and it was all tangled up in this bush and so i could see i hit something i didn't know at the time what i hit but i saw him like flipping around in there like oh man oh man so i just grabbed my axe and ran over there and as i got there he like turned and jumped at me but he had this arrow in his leg and it like held but i always (laughs) have his like little snarly face in my memory you know he's like (laughs) and then i swung with my axe and then that first one kind of got him, you know, he was moving around, so it wasn't, an, it didn't hit him precisely. And then he started spinning around at the injury, and then I just kept swinging and swinging, and then it was all over. I was like, whoa, <laughs> like, what just happened? And it was just, it was funny to like juxtapose that experience with the moose, where it's like every moment of that moose hunt was fully conscious and like 
I could remember it and recount it. And that Wolverine was just like primal, like poof, something happened. Somehow I ended up axing this at Wolverine. <laughs> what yeah. just happened? <laughs> All I have is this one picture memory of like his teeth like jumping at me. And it was a very instinctual moment, but I had killed that Wolverine. Yeah, did you so, eat it? Is that yeah. a thing? You, you know, I did. I ate all the organs because there's a lot of vitamins in an animal's organs. And then I had one Wolverine drumstick. <laughs> but to be honest, the moose was better. So I put the Wolverine away for a dark day, yeah, which never I came. Yeah. <laughs> uh, did you have your camera set up for any of this? Like specifically? Like, yeah, this, yeah. Like, like I had it. Uh, it. The Wolverine I got for the most part, but it was, is at night? So yeah, you yeah. can only see what you can see. But I actually, to this day, sort of regret because I really could have, well, whatever, it's a fast situation. But I sort of regret not grabbing the camera and bringing it with me because it would have been... I want to yeah. see it, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Do you think jumping at him? <laughs> I don't know if, I don't know if they would have showed it though, which would have been even more disappointing. Like, yeah, oh, come yeah. on. <laughs> you know, but yeah. Probably how, not how, good PR for the show. Well, let's talk about that for a minute. How do you feel about the, there's kind of an anti-hunting vibe that America mm. has had, right? Like, yeah. like everyone should be civilized and just buy their meat at the store. Like, <laughs> right, everyone, everyone <laughs> right, else, right. like. How can we kill animals? How do you look at that situation? And what do you yeah, think what a fascinating that? topic. Because I actually really love animals and respect them. And I think a lot of, honestly, I think a lot of hunters do. You know, a lot of, I don't know any group of people that's more in tune to like animal populations outdoors and mm -hmm. trying to maintain a healthy balance. The fact is, whether people like it or not, humans are a part of the ecosystem. And in my opinion, well, I mean, it's great. Life is good. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. It's a good thing. I'm not an anti-human person. But in that, there's a lot of us, and it takes a lot of work to maintain a healthy, balanced ecosystem. Part of that, one thing that I, having lived in Russia, where they don't really manage game populations and people don't obey laws and stuff, it's basically just shoot everything you see. And you see how that's pretty terrible on the environment. And then you come back to America and be like, wow, this is fascinating. We live in town and there's deer here, yeah. you know, and like, and we had all these like, you know, buffalo populations or whatever, elk, all white-tailed deer that were just on the verge of extinction a hundred years ago. And we came up with a system that involved human, human management that brought all those animals back from the verge of extinction to like where you go out in these wilderness areas and it's like a life-filled forest. It's such a positive story and it's awesome and it's a direct example of something that humans have done a really good job of. And so it's, a, it's something I really appreciate is America's conservation techniques. As someone who does care about, I do care about animals and their welfare. And you look at like factory farms, of course, everybody knows that that's bad, but it's also hard to pay a lot more for meat because everybody's just struggling to get by. So but I personally try to avoid that as much as I can. I grew up as a little kid. I always loved my chickens and always loved having turkey. You know, I uh, yeah. named them all. And, but I also understand that we're all a part of a cycle of life. If we can do that respectfully, then, man, we can have... I mean, even when I shot the moose on a loan, it, it sucks for that moose, you know? Yeah, <laughs> Too yeah. bad, but... But also, it, part of me was happy that it was a bull moose so that it's not really going to affect populations. Part of me understood that we are in this cycle of life at this moment. I'm predator, you know, but I'm not going to be around forever either. But it's again, and go back to the fact that if done well, we can actually manage this wild places in a way where we have almost the best of both worlds, lots of life yeah. and humans who can find a sustainable and healthy way to find food, you know, and I just think it's, I think that's awesome. There's like a lot of, 
which is also why I think humans need to be a part of the equation. There's a big push now, I know in Washington state and certain other areas to replace human hunters. Like, oh, so over the last 40 years, we've built a large surplus of animals. So people be like, oh, there's too many elk in Yellowstone or there's too many like this or that. And so now people want to get rid of that. And so then they want to introduce predators, which is fine. But I just think we also need to manage predator numbers. There's a yeah. there's a big push to try to get rid of hunters, deprioritize hunters and turn all these places back into wild places and the natural wild balance, you know, without humans. That will just take a life-filled woods, which we've like created through careful management, and turn it into a fairly desolate wilderness. And I just so happen to live in one of those where, you know, like there's a lot of predators, and you go up in the woods, you can spend a week and not really see anything because it's just <laughs> everything's yeah, yeah. kind of been eaten out. And so there's this balance, and I, I'm all for predators, I'm all for a diverse set of wildlife, but I just think humans managing it can be. I think we can do a good job. It's like a hopeful message, and it's one that we can directly look and see that we have done, but we have to take control of that role we have in in that ecosystem because if we try to abdicate it, then honestly, everybody loses. We're going to have a less life-filled forest. We're going to have people that can no longer sustain themselves ethically, so they're going to have to turn to monocrop ag yeah. or like yeah, yeah. <laughs> or factory farm meat, which at the moment, I don't have to do either of those things because I can sustain myself in the wild. But if we just throw that surplus of game away by removing ourselves from the equation, I think there's a big loss for everybody. And we all have a, a general like, man, I love like wolves and grizzly bears. They're, they're great. But we have this idea that we can't manage those and we can't hunt those. We have to boost those numbers while we uh, <laughs> suppress the ungulate numbers and i just think it's going to lead to a situation that's worse kind of for everybody yeah. where i think you know then you have too many wolves and too many predators and then they yeah. starve and then <laughs> and then yeah. they're not anyway it's like that natural balance like like nature's rough man you know yeah, <laughs> and we yeah. can actually do a a good job of managing that's really ultimately what my i sorry i just went on yeah. for a long time that's but, good, man. but uh, <laughs> well i heard that's some of the i heard uh, what i think it was what ted nugent is that the guy's name oh interesting right? yeah, yeah i heard yeah. him talking about hunting once and it, it really changed my perspective a lot because mm-hmm. he he mentioned this phrase and not that i've ever been like anti-hunting i right, just never right. really cared, cared much but he right. said every animal like no animal dies of old age no right? like they, it's like they die life. from either yeah, yeah claw, what do you say fang claw or starvation yeah, like yeah. every animal dies this horrible death right right so like Everyone, like people that are anti hunting, they're just like, oh, it's so mean to kill these animals. He's like, what do you think happens to them if you don't kill them? I mean, yeah, you can just watch a video of like this, you know, elk getting Uh the way they get killed in nature is terrible. It's It's like their legs, Achilles tendons bitten off, and then they're just ripped out while they're alive. It's like, well, that's horrible. Yeah, so at least what we're doing is a lot more. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. So we can be a part Mm -hmm. of that. Yeah, it's like if you shoot a big, mature animal, it's like, that's yep. something that no longer for the overall population is that important yeah. because there's other bulls that'll find other cows. It I, honestly the best way for that thing to go. That yeah. It, it's yeah. yeah. Anyway, I think we can play a really good job in managing it, and I'm all for it. I think. Yeah. yeah. Did you ever read that book when you were younger, uh, Hatchet from Gary Paulson? Do you remember? No, Hatchet? of course I know. I okay, do remember yeah. it, but <laughs> yeah. And I'm trying to remember if my wife recently read it to the kids. But anyway, Jeez, that was one of yeah, the best it's a books. Common I read. book. Yeah, yeah. Like Hatchet mm-hmm. was a, a guy or a kid teenager oh, yeah. gets dropped off in the Canadian wilderness uh-huh. and always got to the hatchet and yeah, the plane yeah, goes yeah. down and uh, 
That book made such an impact on me as a kid. Oh, and then, cool. mm-hmm. So at the end of the book, spoiler alert for those who haven't read the book, is he gets out eventually, <laughs> uh-huh. right? But then Gary Paulson goes and writes a follow-up a year later. I mean, there's mm-hmm. another one I think it was called mm-hmm. The River, which is like a mm-hmm. sequel. But then he goes back and creates an alternate ending to Hatchet in a book called Brian's Winter. Mm-hmm. And Brian's Winter was... What if he didn't get rescued mm. uh, at the end? Of, it was like the fall or the autumn. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so he writes, mm. what if he didn't get rescued? What if he had to survive through the winter? Mm-hmm. And so Brian's Winter was actually my favorite of that kind of series of books. But in there, he ends up, I'm pretty, I'm pretty, 99% sure it was a moose. He kills a moose. Oh, in interesting. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that gives him that like, oh, but then he has to figure out what to do with it. And like this right, whole right, thing. Right. It, it's funny because it's a very similar story to what you did. <laughs> right, you know, yeah. That's, I'll have to read it. Yeah, yeah. Gary Paulson. <laughs> that's cool. Yeah, I, I don't yeah, know no. if that still alive, but if he is, that would be a cool one to get on the podcast. Yeah, so yeah. He's definitely an influential in yeah. that world. I hear about that yeah. those books all the time. Yeah, Hatchet was legit. He also had a series of books called the Dunk and Amos books. They were like these little like, just they were, had nothing to do with survivalists, but mm-hmm. those were like, my favorite book. I read like every <laughs> right one on. hundreds of times as a kid. I even have a bunch still right now. I yeah, yeah, so yeah. I read them my kids. They're stupid yeah, yeah. kid books, but man, I loved them. All right. I want to move into something you mentioned briefly when, we, when you first showed up today here oh, at right. my house here at the Sea Shed. Mm-hmm. And we didn't really dive into it because I was like, oh, I want to definitely get in and listen to the show. Mm-hmm. You just mentioned the phrase rites of passage. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what, does that, what does that mean to you? What is a rite of passage? What does that mean to you? And uh, Well, it's interesting that most cultures in the past had some kind of time where a young person took what he had learned in his youth and had this transition to where now he or she was responsible for themselves and they were now bestowed that responsibility for their path as they went forward. And they had these, of course, every society had its own rituals and stuff. But nowadays we really don't, you know, like we kind of just bumble through an extended adolescence (laughs) longer and longer. And then there's not really a point that, you know, we're, handed that responsibility and that respect dude you know that comes with that and and i think nowadays kids are actually faced with a lot of challenges that people in the past weren't faced with like i was talking about earlier the old you know living those old ways they're actually kind of simple and because of that it's actually pretty conducive to our dopamine and our (laughs) serotonin all those things are in line with how our life is because that's how humans have been forever and now all kids and are faced with a lot of novel (laughs) issues and i i think we're running a big experiment on those kids and i i think that it's doesn't seem to be going that well like i i definitely don't take for granted the advantages we have in the modern world and living with the evenkian siberia is a lot of me thought wow i would definitely choose this way of life it was my family and friends in the modern context like and and like because i'm not now we have modern medicine and a few of these safety nets that people in the past didn't have hypothetically we could have the best of both worlds if we played it right but if we leave it to inertia and uh, what we see going on around us it's like yeah the young kids man they have all these things pulling at them and it's not really a clear i just feel like the kids don't have a chance against the forces of tech and all that (laughs) that are trying to fight for their attention and divided attention is such a disadvantage in life especially when you're young and need to explore your own thoughts and what you believe about the world and yourself and and you're just stuck on your phone you know <laughs> it's tough yeah i feel like the so, only rite of passage nowadays is where a parent hands a kid their first cell phone yeah like, there you go. <laughs> there welcome you go. to being a miserable grown-up <laughs> yeah, <totally. laughs> That's oh it. geez yeah, yeah. So you, it's like the idea like i mean how do we instill a rite of passage for our kids today how do we turn them into grown-ups and, and help them avoid that just like mm. accidentally stumbling yeah. into adulthood well i mean i guess 
how do we do that for our own kids? I, it's hard to say. I would probably, I do think as someone who receives like maximum benefit from social media, mm-hmm. that's like how I run my business. Sure. It's how I get the news out there. I really like, I connect with a lot of people that said, there's a part of me that thinks it's still a negative, you know? Like, and, and, and I think especially for young people that aren't receiving the benefits of <laughs> this business and this things like that, it's like almost all a negative. Like I've definitely thought before, like for my own just personal satisfaction, if I just deleted it, I'd probably be happier, yeah, you know? Like, and, and so I think for our kids, Let's just avoid that, you know, as long as possible. I think that also puts the responsibility on the parent to help foster a community that your kid can not be left out of in that situation. Because if they're just going to school and all the other people have phones and that's how you get invites to get togethers and this and that, they're going to kind of be isolated and left out. Maybe it's good to try to find actively try to find like minded parents that also are going to make sure that that decision isn't going to leave their kid isolated, you know, and then, but then move forward with that. You know, I have young kids right now. I don't have teenagers, but with the young kids, I do, like I mentioned earlier, like to take them out for extended trips because I think it, and then specifically I take them out for long trips in the wilderness because those naturally come with the hardship that comes out with being outside. You know, the bugs might be biting you or the weather might turn south or you know you have to hike farther than you wanted to but it also comes with this really cool thing that comes in a world that's stripped of some of those modern embellishments which is you really connect with people it's incredible like and this goes for your family of course but even for strangers i run a lot of courses in the woods and people come out and we spend time in the wilderness and i've always point out to people like notice how well we're going to get to know each other in the course of the week we're all just strangers right now and you spend a week and You'll get to know people better than you do, like if you worked three years in an office together. It's fascinating. So I think that connection that's fostered in those natural environments with your family is really important. Like the that outdoor world gives simple natural lessons, you know, that we're designed for. It doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be constructed like it does in the modern world. And Dude, so that's, that's, just that take is them out there. Such a good point. I don't want to leave before harping on this. Yeah. It's just the idea. I've never made that connection before. Cause mm-hmm. I know when you go camping with a bunch of buddies, you mm-hmm. really like build a relationship. Yeah, Sim- yeah. Similar military, you know, Alex here was in the military, right? And mm-hmm. you're you, the relationships you've built, right? Like solid. There's no better way to bond than over shared stress. Yeah. yeah. Right. But how have I never translated that to my kids? Like uh, where right. am I putting myself into shared bonded stress? Uh, <laughs> right, with right, my right, kids right, right, right. as a way to bond. <laughs> right. And I bet you the majority of humans have never had that thought of like, how can I purposely put me and my family into mm-hmm. stress together? You got to put yourself, you, you have to do it purposefully now, which is yeah. weird because uh-huh. nobody yeah. wants to put their kids in a stressful situation. But yeah. if you go on a camping trip, yeah. you know, like it's like, yeah. it's, it comes with everything else. And yeah. then, uh, yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. So, I actually, oh, go ahead. Okay, go ahead. I was just going to say, I was actually thinking also like in the future, I'd like to run like, corporate you know everybody works remotely now and like instead of dragging everyone back into the office which isn't that effective for building community like occasional dude i'll sign up right right now the whole better life yeah i mean i think it would be awesome yeah yeah yeah, exactly we'll come out it's like (laughs) it's so much better for that team building i was like man i really got to lean into that team building aspect because again Mm -hmm. i was kind of i wouldn't say bumbled but i kind of just came into this 
idea to run these courses and do yeah. this business as a business opportunity. And as I, and as I did it, I saw that it was so necessary for people. Yeah. And then as I did it, I saw it actually has a particular niche that it's excellent at, and it would be team building, yeah, you know, right. and community building. So yeah, leave your kid, yeah. leave your guys to be with their family and work remotely, but then just yeah. focus on this like concentrated quality time you know occasionally yeah, we're, we're gonna put it i want to actually talk we'll talk to you offline here but i want to talk about yeah how do we get like the better life tribe yeah 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 how do we do some events with you we got corporately wise Sweet. i, I love it. i think it's love i got that. some great options for all right that. man oh, well fine. i'm excited man. all right well we'll, we'll announce that in the future what we're gonna do with yeah, that. Yeah. that sounds great all right so that that moves me on to kind of the last thing i want to talk about is yeah let's go into some financial mm-hmm. stuff what do you mm-hmm. do for income today you want some money mm-hmm. what'd you do with it what did you put yeah, it yeah, into yeah. and then what do you do today for money you're a real estate guy i'm a real estate guy yes i love this stuff yeah, that's funny. Prior to the show, what I did was we had kind of found ourselves kind of traveled around the country with my brother and we rode freight trains and, you know, real simple living for a long time. And then we ended up in this little town where you could get a house for free, basically, if you promised to renovate it, real oh. dilapidated, rough town. So we kind of taught ourselves the trade and started renovating houses and built up a you know, I guess I renovated seven houses. So <laughs> that's what I have now. And now I kind of just leave them as rentals. It was a great way to get started as a young man, you know, and and now it provides passive income that kind of takes a little bit of the pressure off, allows me to spend extra time with the family. And when I won the show, it allowed me to actually transition out of that, which I had gotten kind of tired of. So I went from doing that to, well, let's try running these survival schools, yeah. you know? And so I started inviting people out on these trips in the wilderness. And it, like I just mentioned, it kind of went pretty quickly from a business idea to something I really see the purpose behind. And I think that's important for doing something with passion and that you really love to do. And I just really enjoy seeing it work on people in a positive manner. And, and it's cool because you do, you had a a lot of people come out, but it's like, I know every one of them. If I'll see them, somebody I consider a friend, you know, it's like, it's, and, and likewise, I'll see people, that I'm, you know, like from afar, I'll see that person and that person talking to each other who met on the course. And now they're like, there's a bond there. And I just think it's so important in our modern world. And so now I've been really leaning into providing those experiences with people trying to construct them, whether it be in a, the framework be survival skills or the framework be like exploration and hiking and stuff, whatever it be, trying to facilitate that. And that's kind of where I am now. We've been building up, well, actually just recently this year, are working on purchasing uh, outfitting rights to this epic spot in the wilderness that I'm super excited. What to. Are outfitting rights? What's that so mean? in Idaho, which is where I run these out of, I live in Montana, but okay. not on the border. So anyway, it gives us the rights to use public land in a, for profit. It's also kind of nice because when you live in such an epic place that I do, you know, your yeah. attention scattered amongst infinite possibilities and it kind of focuses on a particular area that we can really learn really delve into and yeah. really make the best of and manage like we were talking about earlier like i can take people on some hunts but i don't have to do 50 hunts you know i can do like three really good hunts a year and it, <laughs> so i'm excited to have that control in, yeah. in what we're doing and be, it's a, a way i can be creative with how i put these trips together and stuff. Yeah. So that's now how I'm, I have a little bit of passive income from the houses. And then we have this outdoor. That sounds awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I would love to play with that. How far away is that from Coeur d'Alene? Four hours. Okay. Mm-hmm. 
Yep. Yeah. Four so hours. Yeah, it's yeah, that's, that's cool. You you'll you'll love it. You got to come down because yeah, I actually am from that. Sandpoint, Coeur d'Alene yeah, area, and right there. when I won the show, I was like, man, I can actually live anywhere I want, and I <laughs> and I chose this particular little area yeah. that I am now, and yeah. that's amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. I know. I totally see. I bought this house in Coeur d'Alene. I had a I had to do oh, a, yeah, a yeah. ten third one exchange, so I had to like sell a I sell the yeah. property, had to yeah. dump the money into something else, right? So right, I buy right. this big house. It's like. 22 bedroom house. I mean, uh, sorry, 22 <laughs> oh, bed house. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh, but well, like nine geez. bedrooms. Yeah, or whatever, yeah, yeah. But I got a couple Still bunk plenty rooms. of space. <laughs> plenty of space, right? So this is what I want to do is I want to bring in people. Uh-huh. We'll stay the night at my house in Coeur d'Alene. Then we'll drive down, come hang out oh, with you, you go. go to the woods. Yeah. And uh, well, then end the trip back up in Coeur d'Alene at my house. So that's that sounds that's epic. what we got to do let's sometime. Let's connect it. Yeah, that would be amazing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, dude. I love it. All right, well, let's move towards the wrapping up the show. I got a couple uh-huh. questions that we ask every guest every time. First one, what are three... When I say things, three things, meaning like actions, habits, beliefs, could mm-hmm. be purchases, just could be things mm-hmm. in the general sense of the term that you've done in the last 12 months mm-hmm. that has given you a better life. All right. Well, I guess I can start since we were just talking about it. We've typically running these courses. I've had to work through other outfitters who already yeah. have the permitting. And so now it's really, we've just, I mean, it's in the process right now of purchasing our this outfit, which cool. will be, give us so much more freedom to do Big little things, all, everything in between. Yeah. And it's just our own, it's freedom <laughs> in a way. And so that's great. Other things that we've tried to implement would be, I try to be really, this is something that's constantly in iteration. It's trying to be really intentional about my priorities and how I spend my time. So my priorities are definitely my, my kids while they're little uh, <laughs> yeah. and my family. And so trying to line up what my life looks like with that is really important and whether that be something that i struck me on alone is i need to take the kids out on intentional dates like each kid you know like and make sure they spend time and that's still something i'm iterating on and very imperfect at but it's something that i think is good to put out there that i think everyone take a step back from whatever it is you are doing and (laughs) think about your priorities which is easy not to do when you're always distracted and then focus on those give those particular attentions and my wife recently this is in the last 12 months you know we've been more particular about certain times that we're not going to use my are the phone and like certain times that you're so after the kids go to bed don't like sit there on your phone you know yeah. like sit there and talk and decompress about the day and, and yeah. you know go from there yeah i probably need to make that rule with my wife where it's just like Let's commit together. Yeah, just an hour. Let's yeah. do it an hour yeah. right after the yeah. kids go to bed. Yeah. And then you can go check your Yeah, whatever, yeah, because it's know? really easy. The kids go to bed, <laughs> yeah. and I'm just like, oh, okay, finally now I can go and check all right, my stuff, right, and I right, start right. scrolling my phone. So, because I'm trying not to be around my, right. my kids and my phone, but what about the wife? Yeah, right, like, right. Yeah, that's really thing. important. One yeah. other interesting thing, I guess, is in the last 12 months, we've been going to church, which is something we like intentionally chose to do, even though I've been a little... I'd say I've not gone for a long time and not missed it because I was like, because sure. it, you go and it's like cliche and you kind of know all the stuff. What was interesting about that practice, I guess, is that that's still the same in my mind. I go and I still find it to be generally boring because although I think that, I mean, faith and your yeah. path through life, your journey, whatever that looks like is such a, so much richness and so much to talk about. It just doesn't happen in that context, oddly sure. enough. It's just kind of, you just hear the same old yep. rhythms and cliches. But what I found about that is it is a place where there's a lot of other people that are going that are trying to be intentional about the path that they're on yeah. and trying to f- focus it in a particular trajectory. And 
So even though <laughs> the church aspect of it's kind of a, a practice that I don't enjoy, yep. it's actually led to a lot of really positive relationships with other families that are yeah. on a similar path. And then amongst yourselves, you can delve into the richness yeah. that's there. And so that's a specific practice that's proven to sh- provide community in a way that I think the modern world's also lacking. I feel disappointed in, to be honest, about the church that like that they're, you know, that it is so, like, it's such a struggle to go. <laughs> uh, yeah. But I think you can only expect so much of a big institute. Sure. You know? But the fact that it somehow brings random people together that are, you can find other people in that group that are interested in living a full life is pretty interesting. Yeah, Alex, cool. you mm-hmm. and I talk a lot, a lot about that, how like the decline of religion in America and mm-hmm. also the decline of bowling, you could say, like any right, act, right. Like, group activities, yeah, group activities. is leading to a lot of hopelessness, maybe. Yeah. Uh, so, Isolation. Like, ah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, and so it's interesting how much there's a, everybody's experiencing that. So when you go to a place where people are intentionally doing something yeah. Even if most of them probably think it's not particularly interesting, but they're doing it for a particular reason, which is to fill that void. It's like all of a sudden you're on a common journey together and then you can like see where that goes, which is pretty cool. That's been a cool practice. Yeah. The only passage actually in the Bible that really, or at least in the New Testament, Uh that really instructs people to go to church and that passage all the time is actually just says, let us not give up meeting together. Yeah. Right, 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 right. It doesn't say let us not give up, you know, like going to church and singing a song. (laughs) It's meeting together. It's literally saying like, yeah, it doesn't have to necessarily be in a church building though like right. churches make that kind of a like I, I there's such value kind of like going to the gym right you go yeah. to the gym one time it's boring for me yeah, i don't right. like it i don't see progress each time right right but over the course of a year of going to the gym i look back i'm like i am a better person than i was mm-hmm. before because of the ritual of the gym right right how it compounds so like yeah we live in a world today where yeah, and yeah. i love that you brought up the idea of church we live in a world where people don't want to do things because it's not entertaining right right like, right, like, right, right and so then you get churches that are going off the deep end and like well, let's, make it, <laughs> let's make it entertaining like i don't know if you've seen those videos That's on rough. tiktok of the church that do like the yeah. full like pageants of like the avengers yeah, but like try to make it sounds terrible yeah it's uh, weird yeah. stuff like how do we make church fun and enter- it's like maybe we have to you know what it has be- to be yeah. it's like the gym it has to yeah. be a struggle and that's yeah. the, and that's that's where you know all these cliches come to life like who have to have a relationship with god now, that's yeah. so cliche yeah, yeah. i don't even yep. know what that means but yep. when yeah. you <laughs> but when you take something seriously like yep. you take love your enemies seriously yep. and then all of a sudden you try to limp that in your life and you realize that's impossible yeah but and then you struggle towards what does that mean and what's mm. that and you can either you can just throw the baby out with the bathwater and be like oh, this is all crap or you can like actually sit there and wrestle with what that means in your life and not throw it out yep. and then all of a sudden you have like a relationship with yeah, god yeah, yeah, you know yeah, like, yeah, yeah, it, like it, it somehow yeah, happened, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's some kind of and it's only i only see that in struggle and i think a lot of people give up on the whole thing because it Honestly, it's not a struggle. It's it's presented mm-hmm. to them as a really ah, yeah, Avengers super, yeah. version, yeah, yeah. like something really <laughs> shallow and embarrassing. Honestly, but it's a shame because yeah. that because there's not it is can be a very deep experience, and I I'm a real big fan of it as far as like not throwing that baby out with the bathwater, yeah. like you know having this framework that kind of puts you on a particular trajectory that's not up to you to figure out in your seventy years of yeah. life. You know, like you we're kind of in this. We have this common goal. We're working towards it, with, and it's a, it's just a path. But it's a path that is interlaced with struggle, and yeah. and I think in focusing on that is where it can come alive. But yeah, that's yeah, good, man. Yeah, yeah I feel like uh, 
Yeah, it's like going to the gym. They're like, hey, this gym is really great. This is a seeker-friendly gym here. We actually took all the weights. We moved everything down to five pounds. Uh, we actually serve beer and cookies over here. We're going to get everybody to come to our gym. Yeah, exactly. This is the gym. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Ouch. Yeah, yeah. And from a business standpoint, it might make a lot of sense. But yeah, plant, plant, they make a lot of money oh, there. But uh, that's really funny. But yeah, sometimes there, I think... Yeah, I think you're striking on something really important here is that there's sometimes this value in in the the ritual and the journey and showing up. And when you look back on, on it over a long period of time, you're like, oh, I'm a different person than I was. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think there's a lot of yeah beauty in that mm-hmm. uh, that we've lost in our modern world today because it's not entertaining to read yeah. the ritual. Even like churches, that, like I'm not a Catholic, but right. if I go to like a Catholic mass right. or a Greek Orthodox where they have right. much more ritual. Right, right. I always grew up thinking, oh, it's silly. Like, why are people doing it? And I'm like, I... I yeah. see there's <laughs> beauty in that it. ritual. Yeah, yeah, yeah I right, get right. that. And uh, I kind of, I think I kind of crave that more. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people do crave that, those deeper uh, ritualistic. Yep, uh, I think moment. so too. Yeah. Good stuff, man. Sorry. All right. What about three, I'll say books or resources that have made a, like the biggest impact on your life? Uh, yeah, I guess I would say the Gulag Archipelago by okay. Alexander Solzhenitsyn was such an impactful book for me when I was young. I read it when I was probably 18, 19, 20. You yeah. know, it's a lot of books. I never, <laughs> I, never I, I don't even know what this is. Explain okay, this. it's uh, in the 70s, 60s, 70s. Alexander Solzhenitsyn, who had, who he was in, you know, serving in World War II for the Russians and had written some negative letter about Stalin and was arrested and sent to the Gulags, you know, the mm. Russian prison camps. And he had a, you know, kind of a mind of a genius and that he was able to remember all these stories and all this stuff and put it together and compile it. And in the 60s and 70s, he was smuggled this giant memoir slash uh, document out of Russia and released it to the wild world. And it kind of exposed like the Soviet Union for what it was yeah. at the time and all the prison camps. But, and the book can be a little bit like thick and tedious about laws and this and that. But there's such so much richness in it. I couldn't believe like how much how he'd write one story about this incredible family, you know, that had this person torn away from him, that and this and that. And they went through all this. But it's just one paragraph of his book that's three volumes, <laughs> and, you yeah. know, like eight separate sections. And it's just chock full of these stories. And then it, and it had a lot of theme that happiness isn't the ultimate goal to pursue but purpose kind of is and he would like see like all these grandmas that are somehow produced by this really corrupt church or nice church and so but somehow in this biggest hell hole on earth they're like little candles but they die because it is hell there and you know like and everybody's getting the food for themselves Mm -hmm. but these little grandmas somehow are lights in this hell and then because they've chosen something beyond survival. And, and then he goes into like this interesting juxtaposition in his own mind that he noticed where he was like, you know, you get to prison and you think I got to survive at all costs. And then at all costs starts to get emphasized in your mind. And then pretty soon you're taken from that guy and taken from that guy. And then you're slowly surviving and turning into an animal at the same time <laughs> where he's like the greatest path is like kind of that reverse and and just delving in there's a chapter of volume two the second part of it it's called the ascent which is kind of the pathway out of that mindset that was to me just like just really powerful like one of my favorite pieces of literature i guess would be that it's only a little bit in the last in the second half of that second book and definitely worth a read and it kind of helped me to like focus my life at that time also put into perspective and this would go into another i could mention another book called storm of steel which is just 
it was like a World War One German memoir. And I read a lot of these war memoirs at a certain point in my life. And from all sides, Russian, German, U.S., well, you know, everything I get my hands on, something stood out to me usually about the German experience in the World Wars because they were, because they lost, I guess. And so it kind of feels a little more nihilistic, a little more like rough. And then you look at your own situation and it was one of those things that really put my own suffering into perspective was uh, there's a whole bunch. There's Storm of Steel, Blood Red Snow, The Forgotten Soldier. And then uh, some books I read about the Armenian genocide, like Martyred Armenia was one of them. It's like just books that are just horrible. And then you can't complain that you're like on some TV show trying to <laughs> be hungry. Or whatever. <laughs> yeah. and, and I think both those those books work together. Uh, of course, I couldn't, uh, I would be dishonest if I didn't say the Bible because it has like formulate, help me formulate what my trajectory and path looks like sure. and moves towards. And so, although I would hardly consider myself like a, fundamentalist but <laughs> but it's but it's a very yep no nah, anyway made a little bit of an impact it's on made a huge impact it's like it's honestly it's been it was the reason i went to russia it was the reason i oh, yeah. you know, did everything that i've done that's been difficult and gone through it because it's like because really what it came to is i tried to focus my life on you know love your neighbor as yourself <laughs> love the lord God with all your heart whatever that means I did all the yeah. other crap i couldn't be yep. bothered with yeah, anyway, yeah. <laughs> but it's like if you keep it simple like that and then try to implement that in your life, it's pretty, there's a lot there. But I definitely thought a lot of times in Russia, like, I hate this. Like, I wouldn't wish this on my worst enemy. You know, I'm isolated. Uh, I should be like getting an education. I should be finding a wife. And here I am in some crappy village. I don't even know the language. Yet. You know, like all these like things that I felt very, were very difficult. But I also thought like, I would see like beauty and say that native culture and be like, man, but it feels like 1880s Native America where they're just on assault from all these fronts. And like, I wonder if I can, you know, it's like a dam with a thousand holes, but I wonder if I can help plug one or two or just like be a part of it. And then you find that purpose. And in that you can get through the struggle. And so helping me define that purpose, I guess. Is where why that would be super impactful. <laughs> Beautiful, so, man. Okay. I love it. Well, that's all I got for you. So why don't we close all up? Right. Where can people best connect with you at where do you want to uh, i think you? most people well there's jordanjonas.com which i have stuff on yeah go there i also have uh instagrams where most people probably follow me and okay. so at hobo jordo hobo jordo yeah, yeah. <laughs> is that a nickname of yours <laughs> right it was from those train riding days when oh, i was funny. like 18 i'd like quit my job and we went Went with my brother and rode freight trains around the country. Yeah, let's just, talk that for just for a second. I don't, oh, yeah. don't want to leave without like you rode <laughs> freight trains. Like, what is this about? You just climbed well, up my you top. You know, when my brother was seventeen or so, he hitchhiked from Idaho down to Reno to visit a friend and loved the freedom of it, but hated like being reliant on people to stop and pick yeah. you up. So he had met some people at some point that were rode freight trains, and he did it. And honestly, he kind of did what I did with the natives. He just like loved it and kept doing it and for like eight years he just lived outside road trains around he'd like show up every once in a while or, you know you'd hear about from him every once in a while at one point during that he was like hey jordan you should come with me so i was working at like a salad dressing factory in sandpoint there and i just <laughs> quit that job and went and rode trains with him for us you know for a long summer and yeah. went around had a bunch of it was my first taste of life that I would only again then taste once I really delved into the wilderness and live with the Avenkian stuff where I don't have any schedules. I don't have anything but like what's in front of me, you know, very life, very in the present. And it was very freeing and liberating. It kind of made going back to a nine to five difficult 
When I did go back, then the old, there was an old man that worked at my salad dressing factory. They're like, oh, Hobo Nardo's back. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's where that that's came from. But yeah, that was a whole nother little, you know, adventure. That was, I guess, what I would consider my rite of passage as a yeah. young man. You know, it kind of helped me view life from out of the box, you know, out of the p- traditional pathways. I love it. Jordan, thank well, you so much chat. for being a uh, part of uh, this show and uh, what we're trying to do here. Yeah, so thanks for the you. invite. <laughs> yeah, thanks, man. And that is the show. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in to another episode of A Better Life with Brandon Turner. I hope you enjoyed the insights and the wisdom uh, brought to you today on this show. If you found value in this episode, please consider leaving us a rating and a review on your favorite podcast platform. Uh, Your feedback actually does help us improve the show. We look at the feedback. I look at the feedback. And we can reach more people with our message of living a better life. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Follow me on social, Beardy Brandon. And hey, before I go, this show is all about the habits, actions, and beliefs that can give you a better life. But in case you're interested and you want to know my opinion on what it takes to live the best life ever, and that includes some of my kind of weird spiritual beliefs maybe, check out abetterlife.com slash bestlife. Abetterlife.com slash bestlife. Thank you again for listening, and I will see you next time on A Better Life with Brandon Turner.